All right, Rena, what's your one thing? One thing. I think I need like a whammy bar going. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Guy. I like it. The topic of today's podcast is six ways to design effective, manageable lessons for hybrid learning. Tech Talk for Teachers. You want to practice? Tech, tech Talk for Teachers. The podcast where teachers discuss how technology can positively transform teaching and learning. I'm Rena Clark. I'm Paul Beckerman. And I'm Pam Beckerman. We are digital learning specialists. And we're here to share actionable teaching strategies for remote, face-to-face, and blended learning. Education, Education is our passport to, to the, the future. future. And to get started with our quote of the day, it comes from one of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis. And he writes, the task of the modern educator is not to cut down jungles, but to irrigate deserts. Awesome perspective. Um, Cut down versus grow, right? That's, That's the big contrast there. It's not our job to take away every obstacle for our students. It's okay for them to struggle a little bit because that can lead to the real growth. We do need, however, to provide the right learning conditions for them to grow. And in my mind, that's how we provide that water. Mm, Productive struggle, right? Um, There's some benefits there. For me, I was kind of struck with the word modern educator. I think of Lewis, an author from the 1950s, makes me wonder how modern he'd find education today. Prior to the pandemic, I'd wonder if he found it to be very similar to when he was a student in the 50s. But certainly now, because of the pandemic, it's really forced us to innovate how we teach and learn, how we irrigate those deserts. Mm-hmm. So in our podcast today, we're going to explore six different ways to structure and plan for blended learning. We'll take a look at ways to use these methods to manage the workload while offering rich learning experiences for our students. Yeah, absolutely. You can kind of think of these as six ways to irrigate the desert, right? Six different ways to to water this education thing going. All right. The first one is self-paced online approach. And, And really with any of these, these can be ways to manage the workload in this whole thing because we know that Hybrid learning and distance learning, it's a lot of work, and um, we need to design in a way that's smart, but also really effective. So self-paced online is one, and that's really starting with the sort of the distance learning approach first, then you can modify it if you have kids face-to-face as well. But in this model, the teacher designs lessons that the students can work through on their own, right? Self-paced. They provide uh, The teacher provides students with opportunities to learn content, to process what they've learned, to demonstrate their learning. Technically speaking, I suppose students could complete the work completely independently, which makes it really a versatile strategy. You could do it in a face-to-face classroom where you're then checking in with the kids personally and seeing how they're doing. You could do it in a hybrid where they're doing some of it while you're there and then some of it when they leave. And if the kids are flip-flopped, it doesn't really matter because they're just kind of working through their independent projects there and their independent playlist of activities. It can work in fully remote because the students technically can use it. And then let's say you're in a face-to-face or a hybrid and a kid has to go into quarantine, it works for them too. So it's it's really versatile and it can cut down on the planning. You can really get by with planning on one lesson rather than several. The key though, with even though it's self-paced, is that teacher check-in piece. You can't just let the kids go and, and think they're going to be okay on their own. You still need to check in with them. Um, might be a 
Google Meet or a Zoom check-in, or maybe if it's blended or face-to-face, you meet with them in person in the classroom. Another way to irrigate, another model of blended learning is playlist. Um, In the blended learning playlist model, um, it's different from what Paul described and the self-paced learning is that students, they're working through a series of tasks to reach that learning target, but a key component is giving students voice and choice in their learning while still making sure that they um, meet those learning objectives. In essence, it's designing learning experiences that have must-dos and may-dos. And some common examples that we've used um, at times is like bingo boards, tic-tac-toe. I've seen teachers design it as learn, practice, demonstrate, or engage, explore, explain. But what makes it different or unique is the fact that students, again, have that voice and choice. Uh, For example, it might be the content. So in that learn phase, maybe you give them choice of watching a video or reading an article or in the demonstrative learning that they get a choice in their product of learning, whether it's maybe creating a video or designing an infographic. It's so important that they have that voice and choice because they're so motivated when they have control over their learning. And especially if that learning is relevant and as thought as authentic as um, possible. In fact, one way to really empower our students is having them design, talk about workload, shifting that workload to the students and have them develop the playlist, of course, with our guidance and our support um, so that they develop things, I call them independent learning plans or independent learning contracts. And they were worked especially well with inquiry and project-based learning, which Rena's going to tell us a little bit more about. Yeah, so... Our third topic for irrigating is project or inquiry-based learning. And as Pam said, we want to provide as much voice and choice as possible for students. And that includes both in how they learn and also how they share what they are learning. So, and you also, for equitable reasons and just choice and style, you need to remember to always include low-tech options. So that's really important that you have those options as well. Um, The other thing you need to think about is that you really need to make the inquiry or project-based learning manageable for yourself as well. So Paul pointed out, yeah, this is all great, but we also have to be realistic. Um, So you as a teacher, I know I'm currently working with a fourth grade team and they're trying project-based learning. So PBL for the very first time. So they're not, you know, giving a hundred different choices to their students for their final product in that final step. You know, we're providing three, and that feels like even a stretch. And then if there is a student that wants to, you know, oh, I have this great idea, and they're really interested and motivated, that's fine. We can still give them that option. But we don't have to start out with, you know, 10 different options and choices. And that also includes in the content or the resources we're providing. You can start small, two resources, three, and then, you know, maybe they're going to be interested in that inquiry. They're going to go out and find things on their own. So it's okay to kind of start small. That's perfectly fine. And sometimes you actually want to keep it that way. It might be intentional that your the questions that you've come up with are only supposed to be three or four days. It doesn't have to be a six-week huge ginormous project in order to be good. And then think about prioritizing lessons where students are doing the sense making and engaging in lots of collaboration for in-person or synchronous time and then how you're going to manage that time. So it should be student driven based on students often will come up with the questions. You'll kind of just be facilitating and maybe, you know, restating them in a different way that offers offers more opportunities for answering. (laughs) Um, 
And I keep thinking back to still one of the number one topics that keeps coming up is how do we engage students? How do we engage students? And I think project-based learning or inquiry-based learning, or as I call it, problem-based learning will increase student engagement because it's usually student-centered. Um, and I also think, like, I know with the elementary teachers I work with, they have very limited time, like two hours a day or less. Um, and PBL or something else will allow for multiple subjects to be weaved together. So you can really be efficient with that time. Are you saying that's more interesting than a worksheet, Rena? What? <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that. Yeah, no kidding. Um, if kids can create and discover and explore and answer questions, that's so much more engaging for sure. And if they have a true authentic audience, because that's a big part of PBL is, is the authenticity. So I know um, the, some of the kids we're working with are designing some how to stay safe from natural hazards, but they're local. So like, I know I actually just lost power to a huge windstorm. <laughs> um, so preparing for a windstorm and they're creating like a public service announcement or some other things, it's authentic. And they're going to share that with their classmates and then even, you know, a larger community. And that's much more engaging than a worksheet how to prepare for windstorm. I don't know. <laughs> well, for sure. And then the motivation, <laughs> the motivation is not a grade. It's not just teacher approval. It's because I'm going to be putting myself out there. I'm actually doing something that matters. Mm -hmm. And Rena really did lose power today. Mm -hmm. <laughs> she did. <laughs> Rena got power back 10 minutes before our podcast began. <laughs> Woo, perfect timing. <laughs> it was meant to be. All right, the next model, and since we're talking about irrigation, water, you know, you go through the sprinkler, you probably want to wear your flip-flops, right? <laughs> so the next one is called the flip-flop model, not because of that, but because it is a lot like what it sounds like. And it's it's really probably most effective in a hybrid model where you have an A-B schedule where half your kids attend one day and then the other half the other day. And then when you have one half in person, the, the other half of the class is at home and then it flip-flops the next day or it, it rotates. So in this model, you would have a face-to-face -face lesson and a distance lesson, like over a two-day period. And half the kids would be in class with you during each of the face-to-face -face periods and you, you flip-flop it. Now, this is awesome if you have content that's not sequential because then it doesn't matter what order the students do that task in. Like your at-home kids are going to be doing it the first day, and then your in-class kids are going to be doing the other lesson the first day, and then switching. So as long as they can go in either order, it works really well. If you have sequential topic then you, or content, then you have to be a little more creative with how you do it. Maybe all your in-class days become sequential, and then maybe the at-home days or the um, remote days are ancillary skills or things that are reinforcing what's being learned in the class, but they don't have to necessarily be sequential. That seems to work better. And this was probably the most popular format that our, our teachers in our district at least liked at first when we went to hybrid learning, but then they quickly found that maybe some of the other ones were better, like playlist and the next one, which Pam's going to talk about uh, station rotation. And I just, I just wanted to add to that, though, because I know as much as we would like every student to be able to access some of those things outside when they're not having that synchronous time or in other in the hybrid model, maybe they're not in the classroom. The nice thing about what Paul talked about with some of the flip flop is it, it can be empowering for students. But if they don't aren't able to access, it's not going to limit their ability to engage in the lessons when they are there. Right. So I think that's really I 
that is also a key point. Yeah, there's another equity point I didn't mention, but if if kids don't have technology at home, if they're at least they're every other day face to face, you can give them hard copies of things. You can give them offline materials that they can still do learning without a computer, internet, or something like that. So that is really an equitable piece too. Yeah, important considerations. Absolutely. Another blended learning model is probably one we're already very familiar with that virtual station rotation. It's so similar to what we've done in the past with stations or centers. We've used that for years in our classrooms. The key difference with blended learning is that at least one of those stations is an online station. In fact, one of those stations should also be offline, right? So otherwise it would be all online. So to be blended, there should be online and offline experiences in those centers or stations. And it's a nice opportunity for students to do individual work, but certainly an opportunity for them to be collaborative as as well, that opportunity to build relationships with students for them to be together. And it's also an opportunity to meet with the teacher. So for that one-on-one support. And so that's what's really an opportunity there. If students are engaged in those uh, stations, then the teacher can work with a small group of students or with individuals for interventions as well as for enrichments. And this typically happens in two main ways. You know, you got your teacher station or the t- uh, teachers going around and pulling students as needed. And typically, you know, when students are working with students, they're intentional about their grouping of those students, you know, by ability, by learning styles, and we can't forget maybe even by interest to keep them um, motivated. But I was really, I had a great time once going to a kindergarten classroom where they were doing station rotation. And I was used to more, you know, you tell the students you go from this station to this station and kind of really scheduled that for them with six through eighth grade that I taught. But in a kindergarten classroom, I watched this teacher design it in a way that it was all there. And then she gave them voice and choice over what stations they went to win. And so it was really neat to watch them be empowered to say, you know what, I feel like doing this right now check it off. And now I feel like going to this station next, you know, like in a daily five. So the importance of empowering our learners in that as well. And could kindergartners handle that? They absolutely could. In fact, they would set the timers on their, um, on their, um, iPads. iPads. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> on their iPads, they'd set the timers and yeah, they were, they really owned that learning, which was very cool to see. So it's like, you know what, if those kindergartners could do that, my sixth graders can do that. Don't yes. underestimate those kids. Mm-mm. No, I've learned a lot from being in kindergarten classrooms <laughs> or working with my own kindergartners. So they they are able to do a lot of things that we don't give them credit for. And those teachers are amazing. Mm-hmm. Yes, and that kind of leads us into the last one that I'm going to talk about, which is semi-sync. And I think semi-sync could actually be used in virtual station rotation. So semi-sync is when students are given time to work independently even when attending a synchronous meeting. And I think virtual station rotation could actually happen during a synchronous meeting as well. Um, So for example, even though you're attending a synchronous meeting, the teacher might put students in their independent breakout room and they'll be a task. So I know my own kids engage in this practice pretty much daily where their teacher will say, okay, it's time for independent reading. And she will put them all in their own independent breakout room. And they, they do have a task. I, I know this week they're working on nonfiction reading. So they're supposed to be reading a nonfiction book and looking for exciting things they want to share with their other classmates. And then she will pop around and have one-on-one meetings with students or have them read to her and engage in some of that the questioning while the students are then 
reading independently. And that can happen in any subject. And it could happen that it is independent, but you think in that virtual station rotation, you could put students in groups, you could have them work independently, or as Pam pointed out, you could give them choice. Do you want to do this independently? Do you want to work with somebody else? And they can actually choose which room they want to go to. And the teacher could be maybe intentionally pulling out small groups or checking in with individuals. I love that strategy of putting them each in their own room, because then if the teacher has to hop in, they can have that private conversation. Nobody else has to hear it. And a little tech tip, I'll just say, if we use Zoom, so it might be different in some of the other platforms, but when you create breakout rooms or even in you're in a meeting, always create a few more breakout rooms than you need or have students, because then if you do have a student that needs to pop over to a private room because you can't kind of remake the amount you have, you can do that. And then also if you have someone that's joining you, maybe a paraeducator or even somebody else, then you can have a place to send them to a room. So it's just something to think about <laughs> ahead of time. Great idea. Great tip. Yeah. It's kind of like stepping out into the hallway in, mm -hmm. a, in a school. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, those are some some tips of, of how you can leverage some of the blended learning strategies maybe to make your hybrid and distance learning experiences more manageable and they work well in face-to-face -face as well too. So consider those as you're planning and to also help you with your planning, let's take a little dive into tool talk here today and what we're going to look at are tools that can maybe be integrated into some of these blended learning plans and, and models to make the lessons engaging, interactive, maybe guided in some ways for those kids. So I will start. And one that's that's really kind of gained a lot of popularity, especially now with the distance and blended and hybrid, is Nearpod. And Nearpod is an interactive instructional tool. It's, it's kind of similar to a slideshow, allows you to package lessons together, but then it at, adds engagement elements to it as well and it allows the teacher to track progress. You can upload content or create right on the platform. You can pull videos from YouTube. And now you can even embed questions in the YouTube videos, sort of like you might do with an Edpuzzle or something like that. And it has three delivery modes. You can do live mode, where the teacher controls the pace. You can do student-paced mode, where the students could do it independently on some of those more independent projects that we talked about up above. And you've got front of class mode where students don't even need devices. The teacher would just run it on the, on the smart board or something in front of the class. And that's really a face-to-face -face kind of a thing. It's a paid product, but there is a free version that gives you up to hundred megabytes of storage. You can have 40 kids in a session for free and really all the core features are there. So um, that is Nearpod. Nearpod. <laughs> Ooh, we need a song. <laughs> and that makes me, so I was going to talk about, well, Google Slides and then a little bit about the Pear Deck add-on, but I just have found that Google Slides is constantly being reimagined and repurposed and there like can go to Slides Mania. There's so many places you can go to find all these amazing things people are doing with Google Slides, but at the same time, don't get sucked into spending hours of time making your Google Slides perfect because you need sleep. Um, I was actually just at a conference today and there was a session called Google Slides, the Swiss Army Knife of your classroom. Ooh. Ooh, I like that title because I there's so many and all a lot of things even that I heard you mention like tic-tac-toe, choice boy, all of those things can be done within slides. Actually, this week I was tasked with figuring out how in math there's two-sided cards that they play a game with and how do we create two-sided card in, in this math game and I couldn't figure out any tools and I went back to my friend Google Slides and what I ended up doing is 
I made a picture of the front side of the card. And then when they clicked on it, I had another slide it was linked to that would show the back. And then you could click back to the other. It was a workaround, but it was the only way I could really figure it out. But I just loved back to my Swiss Army knife and there was a way to do it. Um, and then in addition, there is Pear Deck, which is kind of similar to Nearpod. If you want to learn more about it, you can go to Pear Deck com, I believe. And then it's an add-on that you can add to Google Slides. It's also freemium. So there are lots of things you can do for free. Um, and then with the paid version, there, of course, is more. Um, you can insert questions. Students follow along similar to Nearpod. Um, and it's pretty user-friendly. So if you want to check that out, you can look at Pear Deck. And another tool that's similar to Nearpod and Pear Deck is Smart Learning Suite Online. It is a subscription, but if you're a district that um, is part of the Smart Family, you have Smart Board, Smart Panel, Smart Notebook. Actually, you don't even have to use any of those products to use that Learning Suite Online. But if you have that as part of your district, it might be a tool to look out because or look into because it's very similar to Nearpod and Pear Deck. Awesome. Yeah. And all those work really well for putting together self-paced lessons so that students can work through at their own pace. It's time for that one thing. One thing. One thing. It's time for that one thing. It's that one thing. All right, Rena, what's your one thing? <laughs> one thing. I think I need like a whammy bar going. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Thing. I like it. So Rena, what is your one thing? I think I'm going to keep it simple, but it seems like no matter what lessons and your designing should be student centered. And everything we talked about is if we make it student centered, it's just going to be better. <laughs> I like that. It's so true. And the fact that these models, they work in face to face and distance so that the investment that you're making in designing learning with these models for hybrid or distance will also work face to face post pandemic. Absolutely. PP. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's kind of like PPE, right? Post-pandemic education. <laughs> we can repurpose that. <laughs> I, I don't know. I get like nervous when you start talking. Uh, I, no, I was going to say, I don't think anybody wants to hear PPE no. once yeah, we're post-pandemic. Probably, probably want to forget about that. That's mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, well, I would say my one thing is similar to Pam's. You know, these are these models are really flexible. And I think that flexibility can help you manage your workload because you can use them regardless of the model again. And if, if you have to flex and switch to a different model, you don't have to totally reinvent yourself. You can um, take it with you, so, so to speak. So we know that every classroom is unique, right? So in the spirit of blended learning, we hope you pick up a few tips today that you can throw into that lesson planning blender as you design your next lessons. And oh yeah, don't forget to toss in a little grace and laughter and growth mindset into the mix as well, because those are just as important as anything else to a winning recipe. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk for Teachers. We invite you to visit us at avidopenaccess.org where you can explore tech tips, grab-and-go lessons, templates, and videos that will help bring remote learning to life. We want to hear from you, so let's continue the conversation. Join us for the first and third Tuesday of the month at 7.30 p.m. Central for a live chat on Twitter, where we will facilitate conversations related to remote, face-to-face, and blended learning. Look for hashtag Tech Talk for Teachers. We will discuss your responses on future podcasts. We'll be back here next Wednesday for a fresh episode of Tech Talk for Teachers. And remember, go forth and be awesome. Thanks for all you do. You make a difference.